0: once you get the system going it's you know there's plenty of demand and reimbursement whether you're if you're an insurance-based practice the reimbursement is strong for that compared to a lot of other services and if you're a cash-based practice the, the going fees are going to be high for that so it is as far as uh gross income there's a lot to to have for it there is the barrier that uh, to what you said james like it's not as ongoing of a relationship with psychotherapy is and so you have to market it more but in most communities there's such a demand you don't need to necessarily i think advertise a lot to be able to develop that flow
1: going back to a couple episodes ago we talked about developing relationships in your your community or your network and if you're offering something that other people don't offer that can support them with their work you're gonna get and you have. You're you're a good neighbor. You're mm-hmm. gonna get referrals. You mm-hmm. just you just will. Absolutely. Hello and welcome to the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is James Marland. This week we have a great conversation with Dr. David Hall about adding a testing psychologist to your practice. Thought it was a pretty interesting discussion about thinking through some of the things you might you might not always think about when adding a new person to your office it's just like adding another master's level therapist right well not not really throughout the throughout the episode we talk about the threads of um some decisions you're going to have to make like are you going to take the courses yourself or are you going to hire that talks about capacity and your strengths and what you really like doing and then another decision that for adding a testing psychologist is what type, you know, what's the niche? Is it, is it going to be the, the medical ones? Is it going to be for school children? Is it going to be for work? Is it going to be for leadership or, uh, employment? Like what are the type of tests that you're going to offer? There's a wide range variety that probably will determine, uh, it's determined by, Who's already coming into your office and who are the preferred people that you like to see? Because when you offer that specialty, you're going to get more of them for sure. Another decision is uh, who to hire. Are you going to hire a fully licensed person or are you going to start up an internship program and kind of grow them? And there's challenges with both, of course. And then reimbursements and compensation. like that's That's another decision. Can you afford... You know, can your practice afford higher uh, overhead and higher reimbursement for the psycho- psychologist? Of course, we talk about the pros. Uh, the pros of adding a testing psychologist is its diversification. You're adding another service, you're able to serve the community differently and better. Uh, they, they can be very lucrative. Uh, insurance reimbursements, uh, once you get the flow going, can be quite, quite well. Um, and, and, uh, there's, there's always a demand, like another, another benefit is, uh, when I was, when I, when I worked with school children, that psychologist was busy. It it felt like a hundred percent of the time overbooked with a wait list a month long, uh, for, um, individual IEPs. I called them EAPs in the episode, but IEPs, individual education plan, I think it's called. She was so busy all the time. And then some of the other some of the other testing ones, the ones for uh the medical appointments, uh the bariatrics and the uh spine spinal fusion, I think, they they couldn't keep up. Um in fact they had the the interns, the psychologist interns doing them. And they were supervised, so it was uh, quite good. So you can make a lot of money. Of course, the 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 things to consider would be there's higher overhead. You got to pay them more. You might have they psychologists send out so much more paperwork. There's more testing. There's more coordination of care. So who's that going to fall on you, the owner? Probably not. So you got to consider consider that, and then the right fit. You know, are you who's the right fit for your office uh, that can be some some challenge for you so let's get into the episode as we talk about adding a testing psychologist to your practice thank you david hall for uh, bringing this to us and we'll see at the end of the episode psych maven is
0: proud to support the scaling therapy practice podcast And if you are someone looking for ideas that are tailored to your own personal style on how to scale and grow your own impact and income as a mental health provider, we hope you might check out our free online assessment. If you go to stp.psychmaven.com, you can take our free personal inventory and find out what your builder type is as a helping professional. This assessment is quick and fun, and it comes with tons of customized resources with your results so you can discover the best ways to scale that match your own personality. Find the assessment at stp.psychmaven.com. That is stp.psychmaven.com. Have fun with it.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Scaling Therapy Practice. My name's James Marland. I'm here with Dr. David Hall. Hello, David. Yes, you How are. are you? Yeah, I'm well. Here I am. <laughs> Uh, this week, we're going to talk about adding a testing psychologist to your practice. A very exciting episode. But first, we're going to talk about our tool tip or tech of the week. I am going to do go first. Uh, I've got this book, Getting Things Done, uh, by David Allen. Have you ever read it? No, I've not oh, seen it before. It's amazing. It's the art of stress-free productivity. And uh, I was introduced to this book. Uh, like three or four years ago, at uh, one of Joe Sanex, um, uh, the Killing It Camp there mm-hmm. in Colorado, and a, a, a presenter did a whole thing about getting things done, and I'm like, "Oh, this is great! I'm going to buy the book." So I bought the book, and it sat on my shelf for like two years. But yeah, <laughs> when it, I eventually—that's how—that's uh, when when I eventually got around to reading it. One of my favorite tips from this book and that it's filled with them is when you have a to-do list next to your item, write the very next thing that needs to be done. So if you're I think one of the examples was um changing the oil in your car. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one of that's a that is a to-do item. The tip here is put next to it call oil change office, you know, call the oil change mechanic or whoever mm-hmm. call mechanic. That's the very next thing to do to get to move that task down the list. And and you could complete the whole task with just that step because you call it, you schedule it, you take it in. Or it could be. You know, you you call they you find a date, but then the next thing is like find a ride, you know, find a ride to the, the place so that you can drop it off and drop it back. And that prevents you from like losing things or getting stuck in the process and also just not even getting started. Because I think that's one of my, you know, you have this big thing and you think you got to do it all. And and it like becomes paralysis of analysis or overwhelming you with this big task. But he said, do very, do just the very next thing, write down the very next thing. And he has a whole system in there and there's there's even software. On how to do this and the getting thing done stuff. But I just love that tip for uh, checklists and things. Mm-hmm. You know, what is my very next thing to do? And then I do that and it moves me along. So that is my tip of the week.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, mine is right before James and I hit record, we were talking about social media posting and kind of efficiency in that. And I've not used the system yet. And so we may come back on in a later episode and we may have a different opinion (laughs) of it, but a podcast I follow and, and there was uh, something that came up that I took a note of, uh, of like, Oh, I want to utilize this in the future. And it's a repurpose.io is the website repurpose.io. And it's a, and there are other things like it, like HootSuite, but like, this is one, one of the newer, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, is software as a service but where it allows you to post in one place and it will repurpose the content and allow you to then post do a single post and it goes up on multiple social media channels like linkedin and twitter and instagram and tiktok or whatever you're using yeah. and the you need things like that because um all these platforms are you know they They don't like it when you record in one and then just take. You know, if it's if it's the the TikTok slash Instagram reel slash uh, YouTube short kind of thing that's a popular format right now, but it will create watermarks, and the the AI knows it, and so the AI is not going to going to be disinclined to promote in the algorithm something that's a repost from another platform or that redirects towards another platform. And so this service allows it to publish in ways that appear native and that will help you in your, your algorithm finding and all that. But if you're doing anything, you're trying to develop a social media presence, repurposing content and putting stuff in multiple places right now, at least is, is a big thing. And as much as you can make things easier for yourself, better.
1: So and just for, for my example, I have the I have podcasts and, and sometimes I even record video like newsletters and things, and uh, I spend a couple hours, you know, cutting it up, making sure it's the right format, putting titles on it, uh, even just the very fact of, of signing into TikTok or Instagram and posting it takes a little bit of time. Not a ton, but I'd rather be doing something else. Mm -hmm. And it does have, I'm going to check into this, but it does have, you know, for $25, you can connect into a bunch of video features and use it per month. I don't know how many postings it makes. I'll have to dive into that. But for $25, could I upload a video and have it chop it up and throw it into my Instagram and my YouTube feed shorts and all that stuff. I mean, that sounds like a deal. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll come back and talk we'll to you about it. Yeah. But, uh, there, there are lots of new tools coming out like this every, every week it seems like. Mm-hmm. So great, great tool. Uh, and tip David, thank you so much for bringing that back to my attention. Well, we're going to get into a subject, uh, adding a testing psychologist to your practice. So my my introduction to testing psychologists was I worked at a day hospital, and every three times a week, uh, uh, somebody came in that I didn't really know, and she went into a room, and people would shuffle into the room, and then she would they would leave, and and uh, she was always busy, and eventually I you know saw her in the hallway and talked about what she did, and she was like a child uh, psychologist who did testing. Um, especially for EAPs and uh, do you have EAPs in Tennessee. Yeah.
0: The, the, uh, into, yeah, the, um, educational plan, but it's the, or yeah. employee assistance programs. Yeah. But yeah, we, we do those.
1: Uh, oh, maybe I used the wrong term. Are you but sick with education? For yeah. It it's education
0: kids. plans. Um, EAPs usually employee assistance program. Yeah, and that yeah, is yeah. something that we'll do, but, but yeah, I, I can't think of the acronym for it, but it's a, it's an educational plan and it's a mandated thing. Yeah, so um, so they needed a
1: psychologist for that to get a diagnosis and to write up a plan, and there was also like ADHD referrals Mm -hmm. and just all sorts of services that couldn't be accessed without a a a doctor giving some sort of diagnosis and treatment plan. And uh, she was busy like all the time. She the the her wait list, especially during like the high peaks of school hours was incredible like the school like the the normal like end of school ramp up times mm-hmm. to get services was incredible and she she said there just wasn't enough testing psychologists to go around mm-hmm. and uh, I've talked to other practices you know later in the career as they think about how they want to scale and expand and one of the things that comes up is adding a testing psychologist to the practice uh, so, so David, you, you're a psychologist. <laughs> what do they do? Like what, like explain to, explain well, to us here, what, <laughs> what did the psychologists do and what's their scope?
0: Yeah. Um, it's a great question, James. The, for, for those people who are less familiar with all the individual disciplines in psychotherapy of marriage and family therapy of professional slash mental health counseling, depending on, it's called different things, depending on your state clinical social work, psychology. It's one of the unique things about psychology is the psychometric testing, though, um, to, to say there are some, te- there are some tests that are administered by other licenses as well. Um, for example, uh, I've done training in career testing. I'm a big fan of the, uh, the Strong's interest inventories when I use and that's one that you have to have qualifications to do, but you don't have to be a psychologist. You can be somebody with a master's degree in a few different disciplines. But there are certain tests. Uh, the Wexler is one. There, you know, a lot of uh, the sort of testing that James is talking about for to qualify for certain diagnoses, oftentimes related to IQ testing or disability testing. There are mm-hmm. certain ones that are, in most places, are uh, exclusive to psychologist. And I trained in them. I I did a doctorate in psychology and I trained them. It's funny. I I don't do testing. Mm. Uh, Some of it is preference. Uh, I found it fascinating on some level. And on another level, I found doing testing very boring because it is very rote for a lot of them. You go through certain exercises and there's a lot of it's very kind of meticulous. In some ways it feels, it feels very different than psychotherapy to me. Uh, cause psychotherapy feels a lot more like playing jazz, at least how I do psychotherapy, it's a lot of adapting and the conversation goes in certain places. Whereas, uh, testing mm-hmm. is a lot more, it's like learning an orchestral piece. Like there's a lot of
1: oh, fine tuning and being yeah, precise and in interpretation. Yeah of what you're given
0: yeah and so i i'm not interested And the other thing is i don't maintain a license as a psychologist I'm, I'm i'm a licensed therapist i want to clarify for people i'm not practicing without a license but i'm licensed as a uh as a marriage and family therapist and as a professional counselor and uh, i i don't maintain a license as a psychologist i'm a psychologist by education but not my licensure and so i can't do testing currently unless I were to change my licensure status. But as I said, I, it, I, I, don't, I don't find it on a personal level appealing. However, to your point, James, it's something huge in demand. I get, I get inquiries constantly because I am trained as a psychologist. Mm-hmm. People will see like I'm a PsyD, a, a, a doctor of psychology, so people will look me up. I get asked all the time about it personally. I get asked just as a practice owner in my community for referrals and resources. I have a fairly short list of people in my community that do it and they like what you're saying are often on a wait list and particularly ones that will offer it to children in the different uh, testing that's, that's needed there. But it, uh, there's definitely a huge demand and and for entrepreneurial minded people, um, practice owners will, will often think about like, well, is this, should I do this or should I, you know, whether personally should I, you know, go on oh, and get, for go the on and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Or should I think about hiring somebody to do this? And, and I, I did work in a group practice where there were psychologists that offer testing, same thing. Their testing schedule was booked out, um, quite far.
1: I, I worked with a autism clinic and th- their wait list was like six months or something. It was, it was incredible. And then, um, what are what are some of the other fields uh, like i worked with um uh, there, i think there's like bariatric testing yeah, that's a requirement and like spinal for, for people. spinal injury testing right mm-hmm. Bariatric, i'm not uh for
0: div- yeah for different medical procedures oftentimes you'll need a you know a specifically a psychologist assessment right I'm um, using some of these these uh tests
1: for that um, and then it, there's like forensic psychologist um he was very busy he flew around the country doing stuff i don't think ex- we just handled his schedule but i don't remember exactly what he did but he his schedule was for, for forensic
0: oftentimes that's related to criminal investigations yeah. that's less specific tests but more just a process of assessment but it, it is and there's there's demand
1: yeah so okay so th- we we know there's demand and we know you know you need it for certain procedures but why why would somebody who's got a group practice or even just a solo practice, why should they consider adding a testing psychologist to their practice to scale? Well, there's the income from the testing itself
0: that it okay. is. And, and um, if you're an insurance based practice, oftentimes what insurance will reimburse and, and typically a lot of assessments are within scope of, of uh, uh, an insurance reimbursement schedule. Uh, oftentimes, it's quite lucrative compared to a psychotherapy reimbursement, even for a psychologist. Like what a psychologist will get reimbursed from an insurance company from doing an hour's worth of testing assessment versus an hour's worth of psychotherapy is vastly more. Are we talking get,
1: like hundred dollars more?
0: To, you know, I don't have any rates right. In you front don't have me, a but like, in front, yeah. but like, I mean, I think oftentimes it, it will represent double or more. OK. Uh, of, and that will be different in different insurance plans and things like that. Um, I definitely know out of pocket uh, and, and part of when you pay for testing out of pocket, there's the time for the assessment. And then there's the the write up that the, the write up afterwards, yeah. and afterwards. And so there's more time involved. But even the time per money is is often double or more. OK. Um, so it's lucrative. Because of the demand, if you're a group practice owner that, let's say you're generally a psychotherapy counseling practice, but you add this as a service, it can be a way to build referrals for your other services because people may be coming to your practice for assessment. Right. But once they're there, they may also be interested in other services that you have to offer. And that can be a way to generate referral flow for the other providers in your office that are providing other services, more traditional services to what you may offer. And the reason people are finding your practice initially is because you have testing.
1: They have, they, you're solving a problem that they desperately need. You yeah. You know? Yeah. They're, they're searching so, and, out.
0: Yeah. And because of that, you, you may benefit from the trickle down effect of, mm-hmm. because someone's coming to your practice for that. You know, there's this benefit. Um, it could also help you in the credentialing process with insurance, because insurance companies may be more willing to credential your practice as a whole and credential and, and schedule a higher reimbursement rate if you're offering a more unique service, because they have certain measurements. They for it's related to federal and state funding with Medicaid and Medicare mm. programs. The insurance companies have to be showing a certain amount of coverage. And that will often affect what they'll offer for reimbursement. All okay. right. Uh, and so there's, if you're particularly in an in, in-network practice, this can help in your credentialing process, both getting credentialed initially with an insurance plan and what you can get generally for your reimbursement rates.
1: Cool. So speaking about rates, like what are some of the things you need to consider when you add a testing psychologist? I guess we'll go Mm -hmm. with costs first. Like what are some of the, like everything costs something, there's a, there's a pros and cons like list, but what are some of the things to consider when you're adding another service line like this?
0: Well, if it's hiring an outside person, what they will expect for remuneration for pay Mm -hmm. is going to be different than a master's level therapist. Right. You know, it typically, it's been a while since I've looked, but I think the last time I looked, I I think average pay for a psychologist, which is going to be a doctor level person versus a, let's say a licensed professional counselor or or licensed mental health counselor is going to be about a $20,000 more a year for a full-time person. Uh, And of of what just kind of average industry pay is. and, And, you know, they will, you know, they'll likely expect that. Uh, if you're hiring somebody as an employee, so there's the expense of, you may be able to bring in more for their services, but they also expect to make more mm-hmm. in their services. And that's one, um, it's a smaller pool of people because in, in most States at this point to be a psychologist, it requires a, a doctorate degree. I, I can't say that absolutely. Cause it's changed over the years, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. OK, because uh, it used to be in certain states you could become a psychologist at a master's level and, and certain states had and still do have. um, They'll call them psychological examiners, but it, it changes like that's a that's a license that's been sunsetted in my state. There used to be uh, a license in Tennessee. It was a licensed psychological examiner, which was a master's level person that worked directly under a psychologist, but that would do testing and psychotherapy. And the license still exists, but they don't license new people.
1: Okay. So it's going to be ending. Yeah.
0: yeah it's, eventually, it's just people that have maintained licensure. But And I can't remember when it was sunsetted. And so different states have different things. But assuming you're in a place where you have to have a doctorate, it's gonna, that's going to shrink your pool of people. The amount of people in the, the job market that have master's degrees in a mental health discipline is going to be far larger than someone with a doctorate degree. And so there are fewer people to recruit. Yeah. The other thing is the tests themselves. So I, I was having um, lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Because they call they're expensive. Yeah, they are. They and um uh, I was I connected with a psychologist in my community about a year or two ago. And he had come across my radar and he had a very distinctive last name and I realized I knew his family. I didn't know him specifically, but I knew uh, I had grown up with cousins of his and I'd reach out to him. I go, Hey, i I actually, I, I grew up with your cousin Gaines and, you know, would love to connect. And we end up having lunch together. A uh, delightful, uh, man. He's in my community, Dr. Frank Pittenger. But I asked him, he was a psychologist and I asked him about testing because that's often a need I had. And I don't know what the case is currently, but when I asked him, he said, well, I, I haven't spent the money to get the assessments and because he was trying to figure out what assessments to buy, because they, you have to buy them from APA, to, I think is who puts them out, the American Psychological Association. Okay. And when you have a monopoly on something, it's amazing how expensive you can make it. And so yeah. these are, I think a lot of them are in like the thousands of dollars and each test costs and so some of it is even figure out what are the tests i'm most likely to do and what are they cost and how do i but there are so the, the testing material is an expense yeah that and makes it's sense
1: op, oftentimes a, a a not uh small expense and sometimes and so, you have to send them away to score them and that's an expense mm, and uh yeah and, and it's the so there's equipment
0: i guess involved yeah. with it and it, sometimes it's not just the paper in it. Like there's a um, different test that I did training in. There was like spatial reasoning things with it. So part of using mm. getting tests was there was these different pieces to it, Yeah, like blocks and things like that. Yeah. And I had the benefit of when I was in school, I happened to work for a practice that had testing psychologists because I would have been I don't know what I would have done because I, I basically I, there were I could borrow the assessments from the practice i worked for and i would have had to find something i I mean i i I can't imagine expending you know buying Mm -hmm. it outright as a student but that was a tricky thing and i was just very blessed in that i didn't have to go very far for it but
1: all right great well that that's something i hadn't thought of the the testing equipment and the paperwork and all that but what about um some things like admin costs or insurance costs like uh do you do you think um you know adding a psychologist would increase the Depends admin what cost you're doing because um with people who are ongoing clients they schedule once and then they might have a reoccurring appointment mm. or they they can use the portal a lot of the testing patients you schedule once and then maybe you have a a, a one follow up and a second follow up and that's it like it's like your yeah, it, it, it's,
0: it's a good question james i I can imagine it being more burdensome, but it depends what sort of system you're already running. Mm -hmm. If you already have like a scheduler that's scheduling for your therapist and then that could it could maybe slide into that. I think about for for my personal practice, you know, I don't have an admin scheduler person like people book with all our Mm -hmm. therapists online or, or therapists manage their own schedule with the, I, you know, there's a certain amount of admin we, we do, but we have it fairly streamlined, but that's for psychotherapy for counseling and in testing. I don't know if I could get away with this current system.
1: Yeah. And
0: some of it is, is I work in a job market where putting some of the scheduling responsibilities on therapists is more acceptable. I don't know if, uh, if I could do that with a doctoral psychologist. Right.
1: Uh, yes. And, and also, also they, um, they also send out more paperwork like
0: mm-hmm.
1: they just send, there's more paperwork that they, they receive packets and they need things at certain times to do their, their assessments. And so some of that adds a burden. Would you want to put that on your doctoral uh, staff or level? would, and would they accept it? it is, yeah. would is, they accept so, it? Yeah. yeah um, so, it, it
0: is those are things I imagine having not done it personally as a business owner. It's it feels
1: kind of hypothetical to me, but mm, it, sure. there is. Um, okay. Yeah. You
0: know,
1: what about insurance? Do, do, is there extra insurance or things for? Or, again, I think it depends on. I think it would be really tricky if you're running a cash
0: based psychotherapy practice, but then wanted to credential for insurance for this because it, you know, then. Then, if you're not already having insurance billing, then yeah, that's a that's a whole different thing. Um, it's more units. Like one of the benefits of psychotherapy versus other medical disciplines is the units you're billing for typically are are fewer. Um, you know, there's a nine zero four three. I I can't remember it now off the top of my head, but it's there aren't a lot of different things that we bill for in our practice, we, we right. do out-of-network billing. And so I think there are three units we typically use yeah, uh, commonly. And so this these would be some different units and you would need to make sure whoever was providing your billing services was familiar enough of the coding needs. And, and so I could see that, but you know, I, I think um, it's deciding there are lots of things that people will think about like, oh, this is great. I should, this is an added service. This is, I could see demand. I should absolutely do this. And my response to most people, depending on whatever that variable is, whatever your X is that you're thinking about adding to the equation. My general advice to people is maybe, maybe it's a good idea. Uh, I think in the altruistic view of things, when you see a need and want to attend to that need, I think that's good. And I want to encourage that in people and all that. But you've got to figure out what is the space you have to close between the the you see the need and what does it mean to meet it? And um, what will that take out of you as a as an entrepreneur, as a practice owner to do whether to get personally trained or as I said, like, even if I even if I was a psychologist in, in my licensure, I try to think of what I'd be doing testing right now. And no, I, even if I found it more stimulating, uh, and, and this sounds bad. I feel so selfish because I recognize there's a big need
1: for it, but I just didn't want to do it. Yeah. And well, the but people I, who love it, love it. Like, yeah. They want to do it all day long. And but, and I loved, who... yeah.
0: And, but I love doing psychotherapy. Yeah. And when I did my doctorate, I was. I did a lot of psychotherapy, and I do a lot less now, because I don't have time to do more. Because I, I run multiple businesses, and like there are different uh, demands on my time, and so because of that, I I say that you know my my job as a psychotherapist is like my fourth job.
1: Because
0: mm. I'm a supervisor, I'm a practice owner, I I work as a teacher, mm-hmm. like all these things as far as my time goes, uh, and so I could. I could have spent all this, this energy getting there and would I've had the capacity to do it. Now, if I, if I, um, got licensed and credentialed and offer that service, I feel pretty confident I could fill my days with it. But is that what I, is, is that scaling? Right. Uh, because then I'm, I'm in the exchanging time. And so I think that's the tension. There are lots of things that are good. And I think that's what's hard is because we we ultimately want to provide a service that is a benefit to our community. And there's so many things that are good. Mm, But is it can you do it? (laughs) Or can you make it happen? Here would be some things to consider though. What are do you live in a community that has a doctoral program that's producing psychologists? Because that's a consideration, because there there is the University of Tennessee in Knoxville is is in my hometown, in where I work. And they have multiple doctoral-level psychology programs. They have a doctorate in counseling psychology. They have a doctorate in educational psychology. They have a doctorate in clinical psychology. All of them are getting um, trained in testing.
1: So does that help or hurt? I think that would help. It helps. Because,
0: because that is a... Workforce. Those are people in the the market that I could, if I was wanting to pursue that, I'm more likely to be able to find qualified people because there's a training institution Mm -hmm. in my area. Versus if I lived in a town that didn't have a university that was graduating a psychologist, it'd probably be harder for me to find
1: them. That makes sense. I would assume. Um, Now, I know when I worked at the hospital, they had APA like like we had we had in psychology or psychologist interns who would come in could a practice do that and have that is an excellent
0: point like yes because in most programs once you finish school you have to do a apa approved internship site and there's a process of being an approved site and that is a huge part of the funneling process because in most places, once you finish school, you, you can't just work independently. Right. You have to go through your, and it was one of the things that made me decide not to get a psychology license. Cause I finished my program <laughs> and I had already, I
1: no, know, I know it's another year. Or so, it's right? another
0: year. I finished my program. I was already licensed as a psychotherapist Yeah, and where I worked was not an approved site. And so I yep. would have had to have get another job. And there's a
1: cutthroat competition out there for it. From from the students I talked to, they would submit their applications and they weren't even sure where they were going or even if sometimes you didn't get accepted or there were too many students for the places. And so then they had to either go to a place that they weren't sure of or wait for the next round. It was, uh, I felt, well, I felt sorry, psychologist, I felt bad for you because you you did your degree and yeah. then you don't even know where you're going and you might be working in a place that you know our hospital was great but you might have worked in a place that you wasn't exactly mm-hmm. your first second third or fourth pick so yeah. Uh, yeah. maybe it's so,
0: somebody so could because, set me
1: straight on that but that's how i understood it no it it
0: is kind of it's it's like residency matching for people who finish med school mm. but um, it can be, yeah, and people usually have to move for it or yeah. often do. And so it I would say that if this is a serious service you want to offer, then figuring out how to either partner with or become an APA-approved site can be hugely important. But it is, we talked about this in a previous episode, but you're going to have a problem. We've talked about this in a few episodes. You're going to have a problem. Like there's there is offering... Assessment services pr- has, offers unique solutions to people you're trying to serve, but also presents some unique problems for you as a service provider. And it might be completely worth it for you, or it mm-hmm. might not be. And so it's figuring that out. The, um, but the other thing I'll, I'll say is, um, even though the, a lot of the assessments we talk about, I don't offer, I do offer some. I like career testing. Part of that is, is I like career counseling. I like the sense of vocational matching for people. Uh, I've worked traditionally as a therapist with a lot of college students and graduate students. And oftentimes the trying to define and figuring out how to plan for and pursue career options is part of their journey. And I really like that. And there's assessments I do for that, that I like doing part of it is the assessments are a lot more automatic. It's an, they go on an online portal and I'm not, I'm not giving the assessment the same way I would for a lot of psychologist only assessments. And, but that's a service I offer in my practice. And that is a niche because we advertise doing career testing and people come to us for that. And, and so sometimes it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Sometimes you can assess like, well, I want to offer some more psychometric sorts of things. What might be things I can offer at my current licensure level, or what might be right. things that there's demand for? So it's, it's, you know, it's rarely a binary decision, an all or nothing.
1: Uh, so, what, so we talked a lot about the costs. Can we talk a little bit about how this could be a benefit? Like, how can you make money in this situation once you account for all the costs? I mean, we talked
0: about that in the sense of, you know, it, you make money because it grows your practice. Um, you make money because there's good reimbursement for it. Uh, okay. Those are the the main ways, I'd
1: say. These uh, insurance, maybe the insurance companies pay more for a certain thing. I know the specialized services where I used to work was a big moneymaker. They did yeah. the, 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 the weight loss, uh, the bariatric evals, the spine. Email. Once you get
0: the system going, it's, you know, there's plenty of demand and reimbursement, whether you're, if you're an insurance-based practice, the reimbursement is strong for that compared to a lot of other services. And if you're a cash-based practice, the the going fees are going to be high for that. So it is, as far right. as uh, gross income, there's a lot to to have for it. There is the barrier of that uh, to what you said, James, like it's not as... Uh, ongoing of a relationship with psychotherapy is. And so you have to market it more, but in most communities, there's such a demand. You don't need to necessarily, I think, advertise a lot to be able to develop that flow.
1: Go back to a couple episodes ago, we talked about developing relationships in your, your community or your network. And if you're offering something that other people don't offer that can support them with their work, you're going to get, and you have you're, you're a good neighbor. You're Mm going to get referrals. You just, you just will. Absolutely. Uh, so did we cover, how do you add a testing psychologist? I think we talked about having that, that APA program, but yeah, I mean, it,
0: it's similar to hiring in lots of things. Um, but it's just being prepared. Like if you're serious in looking at it, um, the first thing I would do is go online to indeed monster LinkedIn jobs look what's what is the psychologist employment opportunities in your area that will give you an idea of salary range that will give you an idea of just i mean there's few job ads i've ever posted that i didn't lift from somebody else Mm -hmm. uh to some degree of like well what did somebody else post and like how do i adapt it like oh they they made sure to to add this to it you know for qualifications or for and uh uh you know, figuring out what's going to be—you you need to know the why for a potential candidate. Why would they want to come work for you? Mm-hmm. And thinking about what are you going to add? Is it is it clientele? Is it admin support? Is it insurance billing? Is it the fact that you're an approved site for something they need? Uh, is it stability of income? And because you might have a great idea of why this will benefit you, but unless you can, part of building a team is unless You can clearly articulate, 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 articulate. Thank you. Sorry, that that word just didn't (laughs) want to come out right. Articulate (laughs) the benefit to them, right? Yeah, uh, you're
1: going to be at a loss. So we're gonna we're gonna well, we're gonna wrap up the question about uh, adding a testing psychologist with this question: Is it worth it? And I'm going to nail you down a little bit because I don't want you to say it depends. I want you to tell me who who would this be good for, and who would it not be good for. So, who is it worth it for? I'm going to start with it depends. It depends oh, with the but
0: like, but here but but I will. I'll let the Jello be nailed down. If if you are the sort of like it takes more organizational uh, predispositions in a system for this to happen because there are more components than just running psychotherapy. Similar to having psychiatry or other medical sorts of things, this is more complex and If you do well with complexity or your system does well with complexity it's it's better to add in if you are already uh well tapped into demand for this, if you're getting a lot of requests for this if you're if you're just hearing about this for the first time and no one's ever talked to you about it, it's no. going to be harder to get it going than if you're if you're aware of inquiries for this all the time uh and do you have a um do you have the means to recruit for this either nearby programs the relationships you have if you're in a very uh remote area and you're not aware of a lot of demand and you're not a really organized person this isn't for you yeah but if you're aware of the demand if you have the organizational structure in place that can accommodate this, and if you have a plan for recruitment and retention for this sort of employee, then yeah, I think it would be for you.
1: Cool. Okay. And just just going back, uh, they're probably gonna need more clients than your regular mm-hmm. staff, although their units are more too, so that sort of offsets it. Anyway, mm-hmm. good, good discussion, David. Do you have uh, one thing you want people to remember? from this episode um it depends
0: <laughs> is that oh. i would say that it that a lot that it scaling is is almost never uh perfunctory there are lots of things that we might talk about in our conversation james that are ideas of this is one way to scale and it's figuring out is this a good way for you Cause it may be, it may not be. And, and I think psychologists and testing is one of those examples of that is a strong depend sort of thing that if that could be a great angle for you to take, or it may not, it may be that that's not your, your burden to carry. And that is not a sign of failure or lack of vision or lack of just, we, we cannot do everything. Right. Uh, I think testing is a really great service. And I appreciate the psychologists in my community that I can refer to, but I personally have no vision for in my own business structure to add psychology, to add, uh, to add testing. Um, I've talked to psychologists as potential recruits from my practice uh, in the past, and I've told them that if they wanted to do testing, that I would be very supportive of that, but they would have to run it like more or less on their own because we run a practice that's pretty low admin mm-hmm. and if they're wanting insurance credentialing they're wanting like that that would be a process we would have to figure out because it's not in place and so I, it's not been a big um a goal for me to in that
1: great uh i guess my one thing we we talked around about it but i think uh my one thing is uh this uh adding a psychologist can improve your niche. You know, like if you see a lot of children, uh adding a testing psychologist that supports that can increase your brand and help you with your niche. Same thing with, you know, the 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 spinal clinic for older adults, like any of those things. Um like I remember uh we always sent people to neuropsych testing when we didn't know what to do with like. <laughs> Like the, the psychiatrist would see them and try a few things. It wasn't working. Like then we had to, there was a child one. So we send them to the child neuropsych testing who could help us like narrow down where things are going, but it was super specialized, but it was that it was lucrative and they were in great demand because it was specialized. And so if you're, if you're tending to have some sort of specialty, um, you can support your brand or your office by being the center of you mm. know autism the the center of autism in my area well known they they um they're the place you go you know for autism and that just uh increases the value of their services they can attract better quality employees they can pay more because they get paid more like it just feeds on itself so um mm yet. Yeah, uh, uh, my one thing is this can help you with your niche. So that's that. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks, David, for joining me today. Uh, this is James Marland with Dr. David Hall. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Scaling Therapy Practice. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to remind you that the content shared today is for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should be considered as legal or tax advice. If you need a professional advice in those areas, please consult with a licensed attorney or accountant. But thank you so much for listening. The Scaling Therapy Practice is part of the SciCraft Network.